you know, you see the guys with like the long, yeah. the long hair, like the jumping off, of, jumping off of cliffs. Yeah, you did <laughs> jump off of a couple of cliffs. <laughs> Shouldn't have. <laughs> The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 426. Up until the late 1990s, the tiny 6,000-person town of Cynthiana, Kentucky, was home to every single post-it note ever produced in the entire world. And even now, it produces over 99% of all post-it notes worldwide. I have seen almost every side of the educational world from being a student in a traditional education growing up to now being a student who has mentors and is taking online courses. I've been a teacher in the United States. I've been a teacher abroad in Japan. I now teach online, have my own courses, and I can safely say that there has never, ever been a better time to continue furthering your education while getting to lead the life that you want to lead. And that's why I'm so excited to have partnered with Oregon State eCampus because they are doing just that and they are doing a very good job of it. The proof is in the pudding. They're ranked number five in the nation by US News and World Report and they have over 70 online programs that you can choose from. What's really cool is that their students are proof. You don't have to stop traveling. You don't have to put your life on hold in order to pursue a degree online. For example, Tracy Campion, whose adventure-seeking ways led her to Mexico and eventually the decision to finish her psychology degree online with Oregon State. And I love this. During that time, she found a new purpose as a small business self-employment coach. Way to go, Tracy. If there's one thing I love as much as education, it's employment coaches helping small businesses get up and running. So if you're interested in checking out what Oregon State eCampus has, you can go to ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash peanuts. If you use that link, we'll get brownie points from the folks over at Oregon State. So remember, it's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash peanuts. Peanuts. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today are two people with Californian accents, even though one of them is from Kentucky. A couple has crashed a BMW into a medieval castle in France, and fellow Stropewaffle addicts, Jeremy and Leah from PracticalWanderlust.com and the Practical Wanderlust Podcast. Jeremy and Leah, thanks for waking up so early, joining me, and a huge welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It is a, a big compliment, I think, for us, as we are not morning people. It's 6 a.m. here, so we're, we're doing our best. <laughs> thanks so much for having us. This was well worth getting up early for. <laughs> yeah. When I saw when you booked in, you know, it was like 9 a.m. Eastern. I said, all right, that's, you know, that's the first podcast for me for the, um, for the day. And then I saw, wait, they're out in California. Oh my, was this a mistake? Like, did they mess up time zones? So when you were here at 6 a.m. or your time, I was like, great, that's some commitment. That is some commitment. So 
Um, super excited to have you guys on, and I love a good about page. I don't know about you all, but that's the first. Like, if I find a new website that's remotely interesting, you know, I land on it somehow. I'm always going to the about page because I like stories. That's why we have the podcast, right? I want to hear more about the people behind the site. And uh, yours is about as good as I've ever read. I, I mean, it's long. And I thought, all right, this is long. And I started reading I'm like, but it's funny. And now it's funnier. And now it's it's getting more funny, more funny. So all right, be honest, how long did it take you guys to write that? Or was that just a one shot? We're putting it up <laughs> and forgetting about it type thing. Um, I've definitely had to go back and like add things to it. I think when we first put it up on the site, it was pretty similar to what you see now, but it was much shorter. And I think as we like grew and had more to our story, we went back and added more and more details. So it's definitely kind of been a work in progress, but I am really impressed that you made it all the way through because it is, it is pretty long. <laughs> yeah. I think I've only made it through like one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, most people, this is how I was. We put, I put the about page up and it was you know, my first take and I was like, all right, it's going up. I'll just change it when I need to. And then it lived on the site for whatever the first five years. Uh, so I'm impressed also that you went back and thought, all right, I'm going to add to this and, and, you know, change it up and maybe edit it a bit because for me, it was like, put it up. Yeah, I'll change it. And then I only changed it when we were redesigning our site, which, yeah, took about five years. So good on you guys. And I will say, go read it, guys. It's funny. It's humorous. Um, yeah, I love it. And I was able to glean so many nuggets of information for the podcast from it, so much so that I actually had to think, they're going to come on and tell their story. Like, don't read everything. <laughs> don't know everything, because then you won't have good questions. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me, and, and it's right there on the sidebar of your site, too, was that you took a one-year honeymoon and it was a complete disaster. So walk us through what you thought. Like, why did you decide to do a one-year honeymoon? Because that's interesting in and of itself. You know, people don't usually take one-year honeymoons. And then we can get into the, uh, yeah, why it maybe didn't turn out the way, the romantic way that you thought it might. It actually wasn't originally going to be a honeymoon. It was sort of this relationship test in the beginning of when we first started dating. Leah had this... It wasn't uh, a test. It wasn't a test, but it, it was it was a big deal for you because you'd just gotten done backpacking recently. Um, for two weeks in Europe, which, yeah. you know, I was like 22 and that was a life-defining moment, those two weeks. So she had this big trip plan that she wanted to do like a year and we had just started dating and she was like, so I might just take off randomly. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Can I come with? Yeah, literally on date two, I was like, just so you know, I'm planning like a really long trip. It's going to be really cool. And he was like, cool, I'll come too. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was that was it. Like, that was our plan. <laughs> we also knew that we were going to get married pretty early on in our relationship. So it just, gross, yeah. Yeah, it just sort of started to become the honeymoon. So then we kind of decided, then it became a question of like, okay, is this year long trip going to be before we get married or after we get married? We decided for like the most boring logistical reasons that it made more sense to be after we got married um, for, I don't know, like will, like living will purposes or something. Uh, and then so we got married, quit our jobs, packed everything up and took off. And I, my thought was if I can make it through a year with this guy, I can probably do a whole life, right? Like I can probably like go through the challenges of a lifetime together and children and all that um, if we can make it a year abroad, which I mean, so far so good. That's that, that's definitely panned out thus far. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers that crossed and holds, yeah. So yeah, so we took off um, and we ha I had this idea that kind of I was going to discover 
somebody that um, was always deep inside of me on this trip, like my inner travel goddess, right? Like you see people on Instagram that are traveling and they just look like enlightened humans, you know, they're just so healthy and fit and beautiful. And they're just drinking nothing but acai and they have so many abs. And I was like, that girl is inside of me just waiting to be discovered on a beach somewhere. Um, and I mean, that that didn't happen at all. <laughs> that yeah. girl's nowhere. She doesn't exist in my life. <laughs> but what I did discover um, on this trip as we kept having disaster after disaster was that I was exactly the person that I had always been. Um, and I learned to really accept who that person was and really get innately comfortable with who I've always been. So for me, the, it was a, a journey of kind of discovery. But instead of discovering somebody different, I, I discovered the person that I always was. And by the end of it, I was like, yeah, okay, that tracks. Like, I'm, I'm good with who that is. <laughs> did you think that it was going to be a, like a discovery journey? Um, I, I sort of did. I also was very open to whatever came my way because I had never done anything remotely resembling this. I, I didn't really grow up traveling and I, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and so I did sort of expect to turn into this, like, you know, you see the guys with like the long, yeah. the long hair, like the jumping off, of, jumping off of cliffs. Yeah. You did <laughs> jump off of a couple of cliffs. <laughs> Shouldn't have. I mean, you were scared <laughs> time, but you did. I think you may have changed a little bit because you became a little bit more adventurous, but I, I became less adventurous. Yeah, I, I definitely became more adventurous. And I was, um, I also learned to really appreciate um, the career that I was in. Um, it was, it was similar to, to Leah of just like really confirming, like, this is who I am. This mm -hmm. is what I'm supposed to do. This is who I'm supposed to be. Kind of the opposite of what you'd think from a transformative travel experience yeah. a little bit. Yeah, talk about that a little bit, Jeremy, because one of the interesting things about your story is you went on this trip and, you know, I think most people assume they're going to go on this trip and it's supposed to be a quote unquote year and then it's a lifetime or X amount of years, infinite amount of years or indefinite amount of years. But you both came back and after a year, right, it was, did, did it fall into that year time frame for you? About exactly. Almost yeah. exactly. Yeah, I think it might have been like, 13 months but yeah okay. yeah yeah and so you came back and then kind of kind of jumped back into your life that you were living before you went on the trip so especially for you Jeremy going back into work and going back into in the job as a teacher and stuff like that what what was that for you because you mentioned that it it confirmed that you did like the career you had were there any lingering doubts like as you were getting to the end of the trip of saying oh you know i do like that but this is cool too i don't want to give this up there were there were some i think but we, we actually had a big a big decision yeah our biggest decision really happened on the trip um i was accepted uh into nyu's like master program for um for teaching i also um had a job that was pretty much guaranteed at my old school uh, and so we were just sort of in this, like, do we go New York or Oakland, New York or Oakland? Um, it was always going to be Oakland. I don't know why we even, <laughs> why we even debated. Cause NYU. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when I got, when I got home and I started working again, there were, there were some, there were some lingering things like, uh, mainly because there's just growing pains every school year of like getting to know the new kids and stuff like that. But, um, I think the main thing for me was, I didn't want my career to put like a full stop on our travel. 
um, which was really not that big of an issue because Practical Wanderlust was like still in its, it was still going. Although I went back to work too. Yeah, Leah went back to work and she had that existential crisis of like, this is terrible. This is exactly what I was trying to escape from. But she was just on a, she was just on like a contract. So she wasn't. Well, I, yeah, I was supposed to apply to jobs again. And so while he, he kind of got like inspired a few months before the end of the trip um, and started writing lesson plans, like we're like in the middle of, I think like Costa Rica. It was Costa Rica, yeah. And he's like writing lesson plans and I'm like, you nerd, like, (laughs) but he just was so excited to go back and so like he was reinvigorated. He'd taken like this sabbatical basically. And it was the time that he needed to like really feel reinvigorated and re-excited about a a very difficult career. Um, And I think the change that I've seen is that, you know, you you did recommit to your practice of teaching, but you try to find ways to make it more sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we had left, it was very, um, there was no work-life balance. And even right when we came, when we came back, but now I've slowly started to work that in. And teaching is actually like a really good um, career to have if you're interested in travel because of the of all of the breaks um what's unfortunate is that the breaks all align with the busy seasons everywhere you go yeah so we're always traveling like christmas you know easter and summer um but i do think there's a lot of intersection between your love for education and your love for travel um, which we've been able to bridge that gap a little bit more and more over the years yeah last summer we took a group of my students um not just my students but students across the the school of 16 kids um, we took them to Columbia for two weeks. Um, a lot of them had never even left the Bay Area. Um, and we did that with partnership. Uh, we did that in partnership with Flight. Um, yeah, Nomadic Master. Nomadic Master. It, okay. was, it was really cool. Yeah. So there, there are some ways that it, it has connected. Um, and that's been, that's been a, an interesting change. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned going back and then finding ways to make it more sustainable. So as someone who slogged through four years of teaching, or I guess five you know, and, and I, I'm with you, like in the beginning, it's very tough and it is a great career because you have more time off than most people, but it's always chunked in certain times. So yeah, you have the time off, but you're not getting to decide when you go. It's like, Hey, I can only go here. And when the school year's on, it's full on, you know, and it's like a race. What were some of the ways that you found after coming back from the trip that you do have better work-life balance or that you have been able to integrate Maybe this travel, the feelings that you get from travel or the lifestyle that you had in travel in your home, like while you're at home, you mentioned one of them is taking like students on a trip and kind of bridging the gap between, you know, this is work and this is what I love to do. Okay, let's do both. But are there other things that you do maybe on a day-to-day basis that has helped? I think that finding a community at my school of other of fellow teachers, especially those who, who enjoy travel and we can sort of um, discuss and we can plan together. And then one thing that I discovered through doing that is that there's this like unspoken layer of guilt between in teaching with like not taking time for yourself because you spend like 60 hours a week caring for like, you know, hundred or so kids, um, and giving your all to them that you never, that you forget to take care of yourself. And I, I've been really bad about that, but this year and last year I was really focusing on like, you have these personal days for a reason. Like, and then you can also like enjoy that trip. You don't have to think about work while you're on that trip because just trust that your kids um, are doing what they're doing and they need to, you know, not have to worry about them constantly. I think you're in an interesting position too, because 
you work really closely with your team. And this year and last year, you've been team lead for 12th yeah. grade. And so he can kind of set some of the expectations and standards. So I think you've done a good job of, you know, like you still answer texts on the weekends and that kind of thing. But there's not this expectation of like, everybody should be working on Sunday. Like everybody should always be, you know, spending extra hours. Like there's more of an expectation of like, we should be leaving work at work as much as possible. And like, when you come back on Monday, don't talk about how you graded all weekend. Tell me about like how you're like all the fun things that you did. Like you had this question that you asked um, for like an icebreaker recently mm -hmm. that was, you know, tell me about one thing that you did for yourself for nobody else this weekend. Entirely for yourself. And that was actually really hard to answer for some people. Yeah. But, but you've been kind of trying to extend that out to your team. And we also like, we've been going on trips um, with some of his teachers too. Like they've been, we've been doing yeah. a, a yearly, uh, like Tahoe cabin trip, which is really fun. Um, and then just, you know, trying to incorporate them more and more into, into our life outside of school, because then you can bring life outside of school into school. And it's not just like this, these two totally distinct things. Yeah. You can kind of, it seems like you're acting a little bit as a role model, or at least in that travel sense for some of those teachers too, maybe by you organizing a trip, they're getting to do something that they prob that they want to do, but might have put off. Might have been like, "Oh yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll do that," and then never do. You're saying, "All right, I've set it up. Let's do it." You know, there's no reason not to do it, and kind of pulling them to do some travel, much like Leah did to you, right? Like saying, "I'm going on this trip," and <laughs> uh, you know, so just FYI, it's date two, everyone. Uh, I'm going on this trip, and you sitting there saying, "Hey, that that would be pretty cool." Do you think, Jeremy, that that's something you would have done? had she not been going on a trip, maybe not a year trip, but what I, I want to get back to that kind of thing of you saying, yeah, I want to go. Cause you mentioned, I didn't grow up traveling. It wasn't something that was innate to me, but she said she was doing it and something spurred you to say, yeah, I'm going to go with this person that, that I've just recently met on this epic adventure. I'm not sure where that came from. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, I didn't grow up traveling. My, um, my family had, you know, random road trips through California to visit family. And then like we had family in Mexico. So we would go there like twice in my life. Um, and so I just kind of figured that travel was just something that like certain people did and some, certain people can't. And I think when the opportunity presented itself to do this and do it with somebody who I, you know, had a really strong connection with, I just sort of jumped at the opportunity. I started freaking out about it like a couple months later when we were actually like talking about what we were going to do and where we were going to be. Um, but I think I stayed open to it. And I think, you know, that, that happens for my kids a lot. And so because of, because of that, I, I that idea of like, Oh, I shouldn't travel because that's for other people. And so I think about, I think about that a lot when I think about like travel and privilege. And, um, that's one thing that I try to talk about with my kids is like the ability to have, um, some fulfillment through travel. That's like not, putting all your stuff away and spending all of this money and going away for, for a year. But, um, I talked to them about like, here's what a hostel is like, and here's what like booking a plane ticket is like, and they have all these good deals and, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, we try to inspire people on our blog to travel more, but, um, Jeremy's interacting with kids every single day. And, you know, I, I grew up from this very privileged background. I grew up traveling. So for me, it's always kind of been there and it's always been something that I knew I could do and that I was able to do because I was, I was very fortunate in that way. Jeremy had, you know, a very different experience growing up. That's much more closely aligned with his students and just being able to see them, you know, 
take that idea, not necessarily from him, but like to, to hear that his students are going on a backpacking trip in Switzerland next summer. Like they're just going to, they're saving up for like two years and they're going on this amazing trip together. And one of his students wanted to hike Machu Picchu for her like 15th birthday. Like they're just so amazing and inspiring. And, you know, being able to see that, um, is is also really, really invigorating for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that, they might not have ever even heard of, let alone thought that they could do or had it even, you know, it wouldn't have even been feasible. Maybe they've heard of Machu Picchu, but to them it was just this thing in a history book or or like on the map. And now all of a sudden you're coming back showing them pictures and like, we were here, this is how you do it. This is what it was like. And you get these kids who are going to go take these adventures and have transformative experiences, whether they be finding out that they are still the same person as, as you guys mentioned, you're tripping or whether it be a, a big time change for them just getting out and saying, I've never even seen anything like this. My worldview has completely shifted. You know, it's going to change your lives in some way. And it's cool to be able to do that on such a granular level by saying, I see these kids every day. It's not, you know, I, I, I'm happy for the podcast. You guys have your podcast. You're happy for it, happy for the blog. We get emails, tweets, Instagram, people sent people, Instagram people, Instagram likes, whatever, you know, messages of people telling you they're doing this. And it's all well and good. It's, it's fantastic. But it is amazing when you can see it person to person, like an individual person that you know that you see, you knew them before, you now know them after, or, or you know them as they're going to go on the trip is pretty, pretty amazing. Lee, you talked about the fact that when you came back, you were the one like me was like, all right, I can't do this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm very amazed at Jeremy being able to go back to teaching. Like, that is awesome. I came back was like, nope. Like, there is no way I'm standing in a classroom. I don't care. Like, I love these kids. Doesn't matter. I need, for me, I need to get out. I need to explore. I need to do more. I want to push, you know, and go, go, go. So what was that like then for you? Because you were feeling that same thing. And all of a sudden you were back in the situation that you were in before you left or a similar situation. So talk us through that push pull. Yeah, so we we made this decision and it was between, you know, New York for Jeremy to go to graduate school or Oakland for Jeremy to go back to work. And I was like, you know, I, I had been working in the fashion industry, so I was like, okay, jobs in New York, jobs in the Bay Area, I'll be fine. But to me, there was always a third option, <laughs> which was that we don't go back, we just travel. And that was like the one that I was really pushing for. I was like, we can just keep doing this. You know, our blog is, is making the tiniest amount of money. Uh, we could do this. And we actually, we made a spreadsheet because that's just, that's how I make my decisions in life. Um, we made a spreadsheet and what we, what we did is we, we had like a row for each thing that was important to us in life and then assigned each of those values, uh, a numeric value. And then we like added everything up to see which option would score the highest. And it was really surprising to me. So I scored very high for, you know, the di- like continuing this digital nomad thing, but I scored lower than either of the other two options. So I realized looking at this that actually maybe it was just sort of shiny new thing syndrome. And I think I would actually, the, the numbers don't lie, right? Like the Excel spreadsheet never lies. And I realized I would actually be happier because I put all this value on things like being able to go to the gym or like being able to take walks or having my community nearby. Um, so that really helps me settle back into the idea of like, okay, well, you know, we'll go settle back down again. Um, and so we returned to Oakland and 
I got, I was supposed to start applying for jobs. Um, and we had spent all of my savings <laughs> or like all my money on this honeymoon. So I knew that I needed to refill those coffers a little bit. And it was really stressful for the first few years because, or the first few months, because Bay Area is very expensive. So I was supposed to be applying for jobs. Um, and instead I took a contract position, uh, in my, in my field, but like a few positions below what I had been. And that kind of helped me delay it for a few months while I was earning money. And I remember going in and sitting behind a desk again, which I had just, you know, escaped from. And I just was like, I just hate this. I remember like, I would try to have those like water cooler conversations where people would be like, you know, Hey, like, how's it going? New random contract worker. And I would just like, tell them my like life story. I could be like, Oh, I just got back from this trip. And it's really transformed how I think about, you know, my values and let and they were like, Okay, like, I just wanted to know how you were enjoying your desk, you know, like, and I was just like, I can't do this. Like I, I had trouble putting on that corporate face and sort of pretending that I wasn't thinking about other stuff. Um, I had a, a difficult time you know, with that work-life balance expectation, I was like, why are we all here working? It's 5.01 PM, you know, and it, and those are just not values that really will get you far in corporate America. Uh, so after about three months, um, I, I decided I just wanted to just blog and I wasn't even sure if that was possible. Um, but that was what I wanted to do. Like I was sitting at my job, I was supposed to be doing corporate, you know, fashion things, and I was just like, can I pull up my blog right now? Like, can I go on and, you know, can I like go and write something? Uh, and I, we were making, I don't know, maybe like a thousand a month from the blog. And I was like, I can do, I, I can work with that, right? Like that's, it's not enough to live off of, but if I can make that much, I can make more. Right. Um, it's so something. Like, it, it shows yeah. you that you, there is a way to make money. You right. just have to figure out how to make more from it, which is easier yeah. than figuring out how to do it at all. Yes. Yeah. So I really, I knew that I, I thought that I could do it. Right. And I told Jeremy, I was like, I'm just, I'm going to end this contract, uh, and just blog full time. And you're going to be supporting us <laughs> with your teacher income. Um, yeah. which was a, a rough couple of months, but I had, you know, I, we were still living in the kind of frugal lifestyle that we had been when we were backpacking. Like, you know, we were getting every, all of our furniture used on Craigslist and we had gone zero waste when we came back. That was kind of a big change. Um, because we had, we had traveled with so little and we came back and we were like, we don't need, you know, all this stuff. We don't need paper towels, like, come on, we have old clothes. Uh, so we were living in a, in a very frugal way. So working on that contract job for three months really helped um, kind of refill the money that we needed. And then I was able to use that for a few months while Jeremy was working uh, and he was covering rent and nothing else. And so my like little tiny savings and my tiny blog income was covering like the bare minimum. And it was, it was definitely difficult for a few months, but um, I worked my butt off for, for about a year. I was working like 80 hour, you know, day or 80 hour weeks, um, for a little while. And, uh, and eventually I, I did replace that salary that I had given up, um, which gave me a lot of peace of mind. Um, and then, and then more, which I didn't even expect. So it definitely was a risk that paid off, but I've always been the breadwinner in our relationship. And so it was really, um, anxiety inducing to tell Jeremy, you're going to be the breadwinner and I'm just going to. I don't know, do a blog thing, which I don't even know will ever make us any money here in the most expensive part of the country. Um, but it worked out. Yeah, it was very, it was very anxiety inducing to be like, you're a teacher, now you're the breadwinner. But like, I always have faith. And if Leah says she's going to do something, 
if it's not, if it doesn't involve adrenaline, then she's going to do it. Yeah. Especially if there's like spreadsheets that have, you know. Oh yeah. Spreadsheets will like, <laughs> spreadsheets will get you going. The data doesn't lie. Yeah. No. I love that. You're like, I, I love that you made a spreadsheet because I've done this exact same thing of like what I want to do in my life where stuff that seems abstract, right? Like for most people, I'd be like, oh, well, what does your gut tell you about going to New York versus Oakland versus traveling? And, and what do you feel and all this kind of stuff, which there is some to that. And, and sometimes I act on those impulses. But usually when I have a tough decision like that, I'll just put stuff down. And yeah, I started signing numbers. And all of a sudden I look at it, I said, this makes sense. Like, okay, now I can work with something. It's not just me trying to work with what's in my head. It's down here. And we could say, oh, am I really a five out of this? Ah, probably a four. And then you just start moving around. And I'm with you. It helps give some concrete clarity to something that that for a lot of people probably doesn't seem concrete. It seems like an intuitive or a gut feeling. But spreadsheets. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have that that gut that I can trust. My gut is usually wrong. Uh so I just try not to listen to it that much. Yeah. Gets me into a lot of a lot of weird situations. Well, Data-driven decisions. Data-driven decision-making. Well, I guess that's probably why there are so many disasters happening on the honeymoon, because when you travel, obviously there can be planning, and obviously you can... You know, you can have all the data, you can have all the thoughts, you can read all the guidebooks, you can be full of information. But one of the reasons I think all of us do love travel is the fact that stuff happens that is completely out of our control and that we do not expect no matter, you know, even times where you've places you've been before, like it can happen when you go back to places you think, oh, this is an easy trip. I've been here before. And then, you know, something, something comes up. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, world's most disastrous honeymoon. Give us, give us the itinerary and then give us a few of the things that went wrong, especially I want to know the first thing, like, was there something that you started out and you're like, oh my gosh, this is already happening. Like we have a year to go and you know, we're already stuck in this situation. I mean, from day one, it hit me that maybe this wasn't going to go perfectly. We would like literally the first day we got off the plane, dropped our stuff at the hostel and went out to explore. And I remember we were in Cartagena, Colombia. And I remember walking around that like 400 year old wall, looking at the Caribbean and just thinking, well, this is okay. (laughs) And then it hit and then it like just smacked me in the face that I had just quit my job and like put everything in storage and like maybe wasn't going to have the most amazing life changing experience. And I was like, what if I just did all this and I don't, you know, actually like enjoy it as much as I thought, or maybe it's just not, I don't know. Like I, I guess I had built it up in my head a lot. And then I got there and of course it wasn't magical and perfect because nothing is. And so then I just burst into tears and started sobbing on the wall Uh, And then we went back to the hostel and cried all night and tried to Skype um, a neighborhood cat living nearby us, (laughs) which didn't work. But so that was that. I mean, it wasn't a disaster, but it was like a realization that maybe we had unrealistic expectations. Our first disaster was a couple of weeks in. We were going to Parque Tiedrona in Colombia, which is a national park on the Caribbean. Beautiful. Um, And it was supposed to just be like a little short hike to get from the entrance of the park to the beach. Um, And we had actually brought a bunch of stuff because we thought we were going to camp on the beach because we thought we were real outdoorsy, you know, hammock camping kind of people. And that hike took us about two hours longer than it was supposed to. We ran out of water. We were just struggling. I mean, we came from like 60 degree Oakland weather to like 
85 degree Caribbean humid weather. It, we were really having a difficult time. It took us so long. By the time we got there, we I like I think I dipped a toe in the Caribbean, and then we realized we didn't have any money. <laughs> we hadn't like gotten any cash out, so we couldn't rent a hammock and just stay on the beach. So we literally just and we didn't have any water, and we couldn't buy any water. So we just turned around and just started like hiking back. And just were like panicked the whole time because we didn't have money. And it turned out to be fine because in Colombia, like somebody will just pick you up and drive you to an ATM and you'll be fine, right? Like as long as there's money that you can access, somebody will help you get it. Um, so it ended up being fine, but we were that was the first time that we were like, actually, hiking is really difficult here. So we were supposed to do a six day long trek through the jungle like the next day or like a couple of days later to La Ciudad Perdida which is like this awesome lost city in the jungle that was never destroyed by colonizers, um, which we still haven't made it to because we canceled the entire trip realizing I can't even make it on a two hour long hike through the jungle to this beach. Like six days is going to be really, really difficult. Um, maybe it would have helped if we'd actually gone, but we didn't. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, we had this whole kind of like training plan to do all these hikes and we just kept failing over and over and over. We, had a horrible time on the Valle de Cocora in um, in Salento, Colombia. It's actually beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful hikes that we'd ever seen. But um, you like fell in some mud well, and injured yourself, and we didn't have any money. Well, the hike wasn't bad. The hike was not difficult. It was just that it was um, it was the day after a really heavy rain, and so there was just mud everywhere. We haven't told the story on the blog yet. No, I mean, uh, or on yeah. the podcast. Um, but yeah, so there was just mud everywhere. We were getting stuck in the ground. I fell at one point because of that and smashed my wrist against a rock, almost broke it. And we were going so slowly that we almost missed our Jeep back to town. Oh, yeah. The so last, we had to like run back. The last Jeep is like an hour before sunset. And you go up to this, this big mountain and then there's like a road to come back. But we didn't realize was that. We had always thought that the road was more trail, but we didn't realize that the road was actually just a straight just a shot, just like shortcut. And so we were like, let's take the trail back down and gave us spent way more time. It was a terrible decision. So yeah, so both hikes that we were supposed to do in Colombia just completely didn't go well for us. And that just continued. Uh, and then we went to Ecuador, which was awesome. But we tried to hike, well, we, we hiked the Quilatoa Loop, which is like a four day long um, hike in and out of the Andes Mountains, like down into canyons and then back up again. Um, and we ended up, we only hiked two of the three days that we had planned and we had to hitchhike the last mile because you were limping so badly. Yeah. And we got lost more than we were on the trail. Um, and that was terrifying. <laughs> so hiking, maybe not, your thing you know, is what we're saying. But it was such a surprise because we had we had literally been preparing for this every single weekend in California we were going hiking. Every single weekend for a year. Because our whole thing was like we had this training regimen. We were going to build up all these hikes um, in South America. That was going to help us prepare for the Inca Trail. The Inca Trail was going to help us prepare for the W Trek in Patagonia. And then we thought we would just go back to the States and through hike the Appalachian Trail. Like that was our plan. Like we were really into this hiking thing. But what we didn't realize was that California hiking is the easiest hiking. Like there's where we live in the Bay Area, it's just redwood forests. They're just rolling little hills. There's no altitude. Yeah. The weather is always pleasant. The terrain is always easy. 
And it's, it's just not that difficult. And so none of our training had really prepared us for how difficult it was going to be to hike in other countries. That was like really new to us. So of course, you know, we never ended up actually making it um, to the Inca Trail. Uh, well, we did. We tried. We uh, attempted. We attempted. We hiked the first day and then we turned around and hiked back because we were too slow. Uh, and then we never made it to Patagonia at all. We just, we left and we went to Europe. And Needless to say, we have not through hiked the Appalachian Trail. Um, still one of my like life goals, but maybe more more like a section hike uh, is might might be more doable. But yeah, we just kept having like dangerous and scary hiking disasters um, in South America, just over and over again. So one of the things that's neat about that, though, and and you kind of mentioned this even at the very beginning on that first day when you were on the wall in Cartagena, and you're thinking, okay, what if this isn't like this magical, transformative, you know, the angels are singing, here I am, you know, you've built it up in your head for so long, because I think this is a really interesting point that happens to a lot of people. We want to travel, whether it be like a first trip or a big first big trip, or whether it be a certain destination, you build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up, because you're so excited to do it. And then you get there sometimes, and the expectations aren't really met or they're met in a different type of way. You know, it's not, it's not what you think is going to happen that ends up blowing you away. It might be some other things. So you guys had an interesting pivot. Then you said, you know, this whole thing was supposed to be basically from what it sounds like, like a huge hiking honeymoon, right? Or a huge hiking year. You're going to do all this stuff. Yeah. It, that was like the main crux of all this travel is like, let's go all these places to hike. And then you realized, all right, this isn't going to happen. So how were you able, I mean, it seems like you came to that realization at some point, it might not have been as quick as other people, right, who had who had those disasters, but you did come to the realization like, okay, we're going to change, we're going to do something different, we're going to go to Europe instead, this and that. So I, I kind of want, you don't have to give advice to people who are in this, but I, it happens to a lot of people where something happens in travel, it doesn't go the way they want, and then they can either change and do something different, or they can essentially feel sorry for themselves. And it took you guys some time, but you said, all right, we're going to change it. And we're going to continue and, and go on a different path. Was that something, I mean, obviously you had to talk about it. Was it some, was it hard for you to like give up the idea that this is not going to be this hiking adventure that we originally planned out? I think that there was a little bit of that, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of feeling like sorry for ourselves. Yes. And, um, but for some, in some of the, it, it really depended on where we were where we were going. When we when we decided not to do La Cita Partida, we ended up taking those six days and staying in Minca, which ended up being like it's still one of our favorite towns in on Earth, and mm -hmm. so that was really rewarding, um, and it was a good move. And then when it came to like Machu Picchu, we had the realization of like this probably isn't going to end well for us. Before we started the hike, but I, I knew, yeah, she I knew, knew it wasn't going to work out. But I was like, we've, I was like, we've paid the deposit. We're like, we've. Jeremy paid. like gave me a speech. Okay. <laughs> he uh, like, I want to hear parts of the speech. Go ahead. <laughs> you make it sound like it was the end of like Varsity Blues or something. No, I just said like we paid the deposit. We should do it. No, you were like, what if we do it? We're going to feel so good. And so it built it up in my head. Like, yeah, we're going to feel so amazing if we can do this thing. And then we couldn't do it. We couldn't do and it. And then we didn't do it. That and was something else that we had like not taken into account is that when we had been hiking in California, like, yes, the terrain is easier. Yes, the it's it's lower elevation. Yes, the weather is much better. But we were also always hiking on our own time. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge factor that we had not considered is like, 
these places, like you have to hit check marks at a certain time. And we're very slow hikers. We're and, a group. Yeah. And we, you know, we say that and everyone's like, oh, I hike slowly too. And it's like, no, you do not hike slowly. We hike very um, slowly. Yeah. And so that was something we hadn't considered. And that was actually, I think that was at the end of it all, that was probably our undoing with Inca Trail. Yeah, we were just slower than everybody. But then we, when we made the decision to change, because we had a few months left in South America, we were originally planning for six months in South America. We ended up only doing four. Um, for me, it was Machu Picchu that really just drove the nail into it. And we had had a really challenging couple of months in Peru. Um, I hadn't really planned it out in advance. And so we were sort of wandering aimlessly. And some people are really good at wandering aimlessly, and we're really not. <laughs> so Spreadsheets, um, spreadsheets. That's what you're yeah. good at. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it had been really challenging for us. And so we, we were feeling homesick. Um, and we accepted uh, a trip home for Thanksgiving for my family. Um, and we were there with them and we just realized like, we don't want to go back. Like we had a few like more weeks or m- months planned in Chile and Argentina. And we were like, we don't want to go back. So we, I remember we were sitting on my sister's couch and one of us was just like browsing cheap flights. And we found one, we were in New York with my sister, we found one to Europe for super cheap. And all of a sudden all that like sad, depressed, anxious energy that we'd had from Machu Picchu and from this failure suddenly turned into that exciting travel energy again that you get when you're planning a new trip. And it all came back. And we were like, oh my God, it wasn't us. It was the place. So we just decided not to go back. Um, And instead we booked a trip to Europe. And I was like, what's a Christmas market? Like, this is amazing. And it was so different. We've been doing four months of backpacking and adventure, um, more so in Jeremy's case than in my case, because it turns out I hate adventure and I'm bad at it. But it was totally different. It was going to be like, we're eating and it's cold and we're going to, you know, go to Christmas markets and like see castles and it was totally different and that I think was what we needed was just a completely like something new something different change of pace change of scenery to get that feeling of excitement back again because when we make our try to make ourselves do something that we're not super excited about um sometimes it ends up being okay but more often than not it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and like our crankiness ruins the destination whether or not the destination is magical or not it's just that we're not in the right headspace for it so we still need to go back to chile and argentina we were only there for a couple of weeks and we haven't seen it um but instead we went to europe which was fantastic and exactly what we needed at the time (laughs) yeah i think that's a really interesting and good point that you don't have to force yourself to do something because A, other people say you have to do it because you're going to get that when you travel all the time, right? If you're talking to other travelers, like you have to do this you or, or like if, you know, if they're at home and you're there, you have to go see this, you have to do this. Like, you know, their experiences, they're trying to help you out because they're giving you advice, which is great. But if you took every person's advice, you would be on the road forever and you would see, you would try to see everything. And, and I'm guilty of that. That's me. I'm like, oh, this person said this. Let's spend four days trying to get here because one random internet commenter said this, right? But, I, you know, whether it be someone else telling you or whether it be yourself telling you you have to do it, there are times you have to step back out of it. And we've done this plenty on our travels, too. We were supposed to have like a five-month stay in Southeast Asia, which was going to be our like longest time away. And it was Thanksgiving, and Heather was homesick. And she was like, I'm going home for Thanksgiving. I'm like, no, we're, we're, we have to stay here. It's like pouring rain for days straight. You know, we're sitting in this like little cabana. It's, it's miserable. Uh, you know, but in my head, we have to stay there because it's that's what we planned. And this is like toughing it out is going to give us some badge of honor and you know 
she just was like, well, I'm, I'm getting a flight home, so you can, you can do whatever you want. Uh, you can stay here. Have fun. I'll, I'll see you in a couple months. Um, but I think that it is important to take some time to say, all right, how am I feeling? What am I feeling? Where do I want to be? What? Why is the energy this way? Is it me? Is it the place? Is it the things we're doing? And realize that you are usually ultimately in control. And if you want to change your surroundings, go ahead and try to do that. Or if, or likewise, if you want to stay somewhere longer because you really enjoy it and you don't want to push on because you've been, you know, people get, this happens a lot too, you're traveling so fast and you just get burnt out and you it's just one thing after another. I think we just have to listen to ourselves a bit when you're traveling and especially when you're on a long haul trip like yours. You guys were going for a year. So to tough it out, you know, what does that even mean? We're going to keep toughing it out for a year? Like, that's going to be horrible. So I think that's an important point you guys bring up. And one that I just want people to, to realize and understand is that take some time, step back, ask yourself these questions, and then, you know, maybe make a spreadsheet or maybe go with your gut, whatever works better for you. But make sure that you're you are enjoying it because you want to be there, not because of some external factor or even internal factor. Yeah, for sure. What did you guys, all right, so you got to Europe, because I know there's another disaster, because I, I had it in the intro, and I just read the thing on the, uh, uh, you know, one of the things in your about page was that you ran a BMW into Medieval Castle. So, I, I mean, is that the the major mishap in Europe? Were there other mishaps? Let's kind of dive into that, because you said, all right, we're in Europe, it's Christmas markets, all is good, we're not adventuring as much, you know, it's, it's more hanging out in Europe and exploring what happened then? Like what went on in Europe over those next couple months? I mean, Europe for the most part was, was without incident. I it's mean, we did easier yeah, traveling than South America. For we sure. did, we did a lot of Christmas markets, ate a lot of really good food. Um, and we had like your typical, like missed flights. I think at one point you had booked a flight and I had also booked a train and we were like, Oh, oops. Like yeah. we did stuff like that a lot. But when we when we got to France, we had this idea to do. It was around Leah's birthday, and so we had this idea to fly into Nice and do a road trip through the south of France, and then end up in Bordeaux, and then come back. And this was really exciting because, like, backpacking for you know months and months, we had no control over how to get from point A to point B. So a road trip with a car that we were driving that felt like the ultimate luxury. Like we were really excited. Yeah, and. So we were when we got to Nice, they they <laughs> upgraded our car, which we thought was a blessing, but it wasn't. And no, it was a giant this car, giant BMW. And everything in France is just teeny tiny, just little petite like alleyways. And we, <laughs> I think we like ran it into like a pole in like a parking lot in the first like twenty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and so. We, we were like, you know what? We're in charge of our own destiny. Like, let's just go somewhere. You know, like, that's the whole point of having a car. Let's just see something cool and turn off the road. Well, part of it was that we didn't realize how expensive the tolls would be. Oh, yeah. And so it we were that. like, and we were just like sticking to highways. And we're like, we're just like burning through cash right now. Because yes. these are like, this is like $20 every like 10 miles. This is a lot. And so we were like, we have a car. Like, screw it. We can just go wherever we want. And France has these cool, like, um, at least south of France. I haven't really been in northern France, but they have like pictures of something to see at, if you take that exit. And uh, there was a castle, and she was like, "Let's just see this castle. Let's do it." And we like punched in the name of the castle into the GPS, and um, it was this like very, very friendly British voice was like telling us where to go, and and we enter this town, and the castle's on a hill, and it looks beautiful, and it like is trying to get us closer and closer, and it keeps going like. 
turn right, now turn right, then turn right. And then I'm just in a castle after the last right. Like at some point we had driven past like some open creaky gate. And this was in the middle of winter. So there was nobody around. Nobody there was, was just, there. Nobody in Southern France existed at this time. So they had just like left their gate open, I guess. Whoever lived in this castle, I have no idea. Um, and we just drove it, drove through it, kept driving, somehow managed to go like into a courtyard. And then we realized we were stuck and we yeah. couldn't like go back the way that we had come and there was nothing else, nowhere else to go because we were in the middle of a castle. But I saw no parking signs. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not an idiot. I'm not the, I'm not the first person to like <laughs> drive a car into here. And I saw on the other side of this wall, there were like little houses and I'm like, I'm American. And so my worldview is if there's a house, you can drive in front of it. So I'll just like try to get to those houses. And I got, I used to kept going deeper and deeper into this castle. And I, um, I go to this, this hill that's like, like 45 degrees down and it's all cobblestone and it's the exact width of the car. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there are houses on the other side. There's going to be a road out. And so we slowly just creep down this hill and Leah the whole time is like white knuckled, like screaming into her face. And you wouldn't like just turn around and go like, you just got to cut your losses. Just realize it's not going to happen. He hadn't learned from the Machu Picchu thing clearly. But then I get to this open, this little court, this smaller courtyard. And I realized that like, there's no road in front of these houses. Everybody just walks here because it's a medieval town. And so I have to do this like this whole loop around while I'm on the steep hill. It's like and, an 85 point turn. And eventually I just had to like, and then I tried to go back up the hill and um, the incline was too much to creep up. The car would just keep going back because of the cobblestone. And so I had to like, I had to like fast and furious up this hill and I think I cried the whole time. You cried the whole time, but it was, I didn't get a scratch on the car. So that was. No, but we'd already broken. We had the, already broken the headlight, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't get a scratch on the car. And I was that like, time you didn't get a scratch on the car. That yeah. time. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. When I read it, when you said you drove into a castle, I read it like crashed into a castle, but you actually drove yeah. inside a castle and then continued to go deeper down the castle. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, hey, listen, I've been with you. This has happened to me in I too many countries to count where I've gotten a, a European rental car stuck in some like one way. And you're like, well, I have to, if I go this way, of course, there's going to be a road out there. And then all of a sudden you're in someone's front yard and you're like hemmed in. You can't turn around. You're backing up. People are looking at you and you're just like, what do you expect? If this is a road or I thought it was a road. So I'm glad um, it's not just us. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. L legitimately too many countries to count. And I've crashed a car in France, in the north of France, not the south of France. But yeah, so I've like, yeah, we, yeah. we have our uh, rental car chops uh, for sure, for sure. So then, all right, you guys have talked about this idea. I, I want to get to the, the Machu Picchu mishap because there's, you know, we're going to get to that in one second as we close out here. But I want to talk about the ending of the trip because we kind of touched about it with Jeremy and, and him getting excited to go back to teaching. But Leah, what was it for you? Because this said, this was like your idea, your dream. And, you know, as you said, like you felt, I'm not ready to go back to corporate America. Was it a bittersweet feeling for you? Was it one that you were like, because I've I've struggled with this myself a lot when I come to the end of a trip, not knowing how to process it, not knowing what to do, you know, feeling kind of deflated that I have to come home. So what was the feeling for you? Because Jeremy was fairly excited to come back and, and re-enter regular life. Um, The end of our trip, I mean, it ended very similarly to the way that it started with a bunch of disasters. Um, So the, the last 
couple of days of our trip, I was in the hospital in Costa Rica <laughs> for an ear infection. Um, and we actually had to extend our trip for a few days. So I think I was, I think I kind of like knew that it was inevitable. <laughs> um, I was just like, you know what? I just want to sit at home for a while. Uh, I think that for me, it was, if we would continue doing this and if we would keep traveling, I wanted to do things differently. Like I felt like, okay, I've, I've learned some things. We've made some mistakes. We've, we've had so many disasters. I was like, surely we could do this differently. We could travel slower. We could, instead of, you know, going back home and settling down, we could go to some cool digital nomad spot like Thailand. We haven't been to Thailand. We could go live in Thailand. And I just, for me, it was like, I needed to settle, but I wasn't particularly attached to it being back home where we had been. Um, and so that was my thought was like, okay, we clearly like this whole going somewhere every few days, going somewhere every week, is not working out for us mentally or physically. I get that. What if we just rent a bungalow or whatever? Um, but that ended up, you know, being about as appealing as just having a house to live in or like an apartment to live in, in one spot and just taking trips. Um, so I think that I had kind of come to the realization that something needed to change. It was just a matter of where it was going to, where we were going to take a break. But we, we definitely both needed a break for sure. Do you envision in the future, like something like that, where you say, all right, we are going to have a home base, because that's how I feel now. I don't want to keep, I don't want to be nomadic. I, I probably, my guess is we'll never be nomadic like that again, where I don't have somewhere to come back to, or I don't have a home somewhere. Um, but where it is, is kind of open, you know, I, I'm like, all right, I could do this, I could do that, I could do that, you know, maybe there's a few places. Do you guys envision that that's something that might be in the future of, all right, it might not be Oakland, it might be somewhere else, but we we do have a home base somewhere? I think I really, I've learned about myself that I thrive on routine. Um, I love stability a lot. Uh, so even when I go on a trip, I like to come home and have somewhere. So I definitely think we will always have a home base. We aren't quite sure if that's going to be Oakland forever or if it's going to be somewhere else because we do, you know, we're thinking about family at this point where, you know, we're now both in our 30s. <laughs> so it's time to start thinking about kids and we're not sure where we might want to raise them. Um, but I don't think that we'll ever be nomadic. I, I think we toy with the idea of like after we're retired, maybe we get like an RV or something or like, you know, do some longer trips. Um but even when we go traveling during the summer now, because every summer Jeremy's got about, you know, a month and a half off. And if we go for like the full month and a half, it's too much. Too much. It's about two weeks that we really like have a good time. At the end of the two weeks, we both start to get really tired and, and just want to go home and sit on our own couch and, and relax. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I know it doesn't sound exciting or cool or fun, but I think, you know, realizing that about yourself and just knowing I enjoy this more for shorter bursts and just really accepting that um, makes things more enjoyable overall. Like we just pick our, we plan our trips around, you know, two week to maybe three week um, stints at a time. And I think that's plenty long for most people. Um, most people that's, that's a very long trip, you know? So we're very happy with that at this point. Um, I think one of my goals is like, when we have kids, I'd like to take them on like a road trip for, you know, a little while, but we'll see. We'll see how our kids are when they exist. <laughs> and I think part of that is just, um, like Leah said, towards the end of our trip, wanting to take things slower. Like we were in Pueblo, Mexico for, for, for a month, for house, a sitting. month house sitting. And when we do these two-week stents, it's never like, 
we are going to go to Tokyo and it's going to be in Tokyo for two weeks. It's like, no, we want to see like, we want to see Mount Fuji. We want to see mm-hmm. Kyoto. We want to see all these villages. And so we cram it in. And so extended trips are really hard when you were cramming like that. Cause you're, you're packing up like every other night and mm-hmm. you're like, you're always on the move. Um, which I like when I'm seeing a new country somewhere like Colombia, where we've been several times now, it's like, I can hang out in Cartagena for a couple of weeks and be good. You know? Yeah. But yeah, definitely we, we end up craving staying in one place, whether it's at home or abroad, but we happen to really like where we live at home. Yeah. So that's what we're coming back to right now. Yeah. You found your sweet spot a bit where it's like, all right, two weeks is if we're fast traveling, new stuff, new adventures, you know, that's about our, our threshold. But if we want to go somewhere longer, it has to be a slower type of travel. It has to be house sitting, getting an apartment, whatever, or, or somewhere you've been that you know, so you're not, you're not feeling like you're pulled in a thousand directions because every minute has to matter because you've, you've been there before, which I think for a lot of people that I've talked to and, and you know, myself included, that as you travel more, that seems to be how things start to shake out. Not for everyone, but for a lot of people are like, I'm fine with fast travel if it's finite and, and, and then I can go and it's, it's new. And that kind of energy keeps me going on the next train every other day. But you know, a lot of people prefer that. Let me let me bunk in a little bit. Let me enjoy this area, you know, or go back to a place I've been before because it's comfortable. Like you could drop me in Chiang Mai, and sure, it's changed since I was there a couple years ago. But kind of like you guys with Colombia, just like, yep, yeah, this is home. I got my barber. I know my favorite places to go. I'm gonna go here for lunch. This is the best coffee, and so it is. It's a nice like little second home, and I could be there for a month, and it wouldn't feel any different. It would just be like, oh, this is easy. So, um, I wanted to. You mentioned Machu Picchu, and we always ask people their biggest travel mishap. And so you talked a little bit about it, of not of it not being exactly what you thought. Give us the details on that, because you did mention that that was probably, in the end, your biggest mishap of the whole adventure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, I think it definitely was. I think, you know, like Leah said, that was like the nail in the coffin for uh, backpacking South America. Even though we were able to hang on a little bit, we were just, we were just it, grasping. Yeah, it kind of killed and, it. And... Uh, we, so Leah had gotten altitude sickness earlier that month. Um, uh, and then when we got to Cusco, we like really didn't want to mess around with that. And so we were in Cusco for a few days getting acclimated. Like they say that you're supposed to, but we mm-hmm. spent a little more time. And I think that we were in Cusco for like six days and we kind of got like, we kind of got like nested a little bit. And then the day before the hike, this was like our big omen. I lost my trekking pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that they, was like, the universe. The the like they I put them in the laundry at the hostel and they gave me all my clothes back except for those pants. And, and that I had think, never happened. Yeah, I think the trip. universe was saying like, please don't do this trip. Please don't do this. Yeah. And we like went to the they have like an information session the night before you're supposed to go, and it was all these like really fit like through hikers and stuff there was a couple that that showed up late to the info session because they had just gotten off rainbow mountain they were just like everybody was so much fitter than us and at this point we had we had been sporadically hiking for four months right like we were fit more or less when we started the trip but all of these failed hikes under our belts had not helped us continue to stay in hiking shape. And like, you got to keep hiking if you're going to be in hiking shape. So we were like four months out of shape and everybody else was literally just like CrossFit goals. Right. They'd come off like backpacker magazine covers. They're like, oh, this is amazing. 
Yeah, they were all swapping like peak stories. Like they're like, oh, I begged Kilimanjaro, blah blah blah, and I'm just over here like, okay, I don't think I've ever actually hiked a single peak. We don't, have, you know, have those in the Bay Area. Um, but yeah, so we told our guides, we were like, so we're like really slow hikers and we got the kind of standard response that we always get, which is like, oh yeah, you know, it's fine. We have slow hikers all the time. And I'm like, no, we're like really, really slow. Like we are half of the speed of a normal person hiking. I have no idea why, but we are. Um, and they assured us that it would be fine. So we're so we were like, okay, you know, I, I was ready to call it. Like I had just a bad feeling and I was like, I don't think we should do it if we don't show up. We're out $400 and that's the deposit and that's it. We won't be out the whole thing. And Jeremy was like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to finish it. It's going to be amazing. He like, this, he, this was the speech, the varsity the blues speech. speech. Yeah. Okay. So then we show up the next day and we're hiking um, and we immediately fell behind the group. Just, it was, it was never like, we were never going to be able to keep up with them. They were so fit and they were all just chatting and having a great time. And we're like huffing and puffing in the background, just watching them disappear into the distance. And we like rolled up at lunch and we're like an hour behind everybody. So yeah, we rolled up at lunch and we were like an hour behind. And, um, and with the thing with, with our group was that we went with, uh, with a company that had the longest first day. They like, in like a lot of companies are like, we'll take a really easy first day and then like really get it in the second day, you know, but ours was, it went longest to shortest. That way you, at the end of it, you have the shortest distance to the sun gate and they always are the first people at the sun gate. Um, which is cool if you can it's cool if you can do it yeah Yeah. but there was like there was really like no settling in phase it was like we're gonna get as far as physically possible and we were late to lunch and they were wrapping up the kitchen as we showed up and they were trying to be really nice and they were like we saved you a plate yeah Yeah. and they were like yeah it's really nice out there you guys aren't that far behind us yeah and so we're like still eating lunch and taking a break while everybody else is going going on again and we were missing all the lessons too. Like oh, we had this amazing guide who had like a PhD in like Incan history. And so he's stopping in all these ruins to give these like, you know, instructional talks about like the history of the, of the ruins. And we were missing every single one. Like we'd roll up at the end of his talk and he'd be like, Oh, I'll tell you guys later. <laughs> so we finally make it into camp an hour late um, after like sunset and our guide pulls us aside and they're like, so we've been clocking you. Um, and, you know, you can do this, right? Like you can do it. What you're going to have to do in order to complete it is wake up at four in the morning, start hiking, and then you'll roll in at about 8 p.m. And day two um, is the hardest day for for that company. It's, um, you know, Dead Women's Pass. So you're, you've got the highest elevation above 13,000 feet, and you're pretty much just climbing giant stairs all day. Mm-hmm. And so the prospect of climbing giant stairs for like 14 hours at really high elevation just didn't, didn't appeal to us. And it was, it had been like in the back of my mind the whole time, like we should just call it. This just isn't us. So I was like, all right, we'll just go back. Like it It wasn't even like, it wasn't a difficult decision. Yeah. He also, he also really sold us going back because he was, he said, (laughs) get up at four and and you'll arrive at eight. But he had that, he had that mind that like attitude of like, or maybe you'll get there by eight. Or you can go back and you can like have this. You can go like, back. And or you can go to ho- a hotel and take a train to Machu Picchu. And we were like, yes, that sounds so yeah. nice. So yeah, we he, they sent a guide with us. Um, we hiked all the way back the next day. We ended up like we were you know we were out the money at this point, right? Like we weren't getting any of the money back. So we we wanted the cheapest possible hotel. Then mm-hmm. we found like a five dollar a night like rundown 
crappy place in the middle of Oyate Tambo. It wasn't that bad. It was pretty. I mean, yeah, it was great. And our like poor guy, we we didn't realize this. We had you know we had to put him up the whole time. We had to pay for his meals. We had to pay for his hotel. We're like on a backpacker budget. And we just made the most expensive mistake of our lives. So we were like, well, you can share a hotel room with us. It's five dollars a night. Uh, and he did that for one night, and then the next night we were in like a crappy hostel, and he was like, "I'm actually gonna pay for my own hotel down the road. Um, yeah. see you guys in the morning." <laughs> and then so we took the train in, just like everybody, you know, most people do when they go to Machu Picchu, and it was just a completely different experience. Like yeah. when we met back up with our group, they had just had this incredibly transformative journey together. They'd all bonded. Two of them had gotten engaged at the Sun Gate. <laughs> like they, it was. Like they were best friends forever. Yeah, none lives, of them remembered our names. Yeah, we were. Yeah, and we were just we like walking. We were walking around, and we were just sort of like it felt like we were kind of like experiencing it, like like if we were at Disney or something, where it's like, oh, cool, Crowds. we'll take pictures, and we hadn't like earned that journey. And like you know, whatever. Like I was really salty about it in the beginning, but like now I'm like that is one way to enjoy Machu Picchu. It's a totally valid way, but it just felt like that wasn't the one that we wanted, but it yeah. was one that we got. And then at the end of it, after we had, he, he was like going around the ruins and like saying like, well, he was building on these lessons he'd yeah. spent like five, you know, four days imparting these like, oh, we, as you remember the history of, and we're just like, oh, okay. I didn't, it was a, you know, it was a four day know. curriculum that was all built around like the payoff is going to be at these ruins. And yeah. we were, it's like we showed up the day before the final and was hoping that we could like yeah. pass the class. Yeah. And then afterwards we went to lunch with all of them. It was like a celebratory lunch. Yeah. And, you know, they, none of them were backpackers. Like they had all just flown down for this. So they were like beers and pizza. We're going to order all this food. And we were like, we don't, we can't afford this. Um, Cause Aguas Calientes right outside of Machu Picchu was real expensive. And they were all passing around like their, like a cell phone to add each other on Facebook. And there was just this awkward moment where they got to us and somebody just like reached over and took it yeah. and like just skipped us. And it was, oh my God. There was this really sweet solo traveler. He was like a nature photographer and he was like just getting, he, you know, he just retired and he, he was so nice. And he like held the phone and was like, how do I do this without being <laughs> like, the biggest jerk? And then the person next to us like didn't care about it. our feelings and yeah. was just like, cool, thanks. I'm next. And like, threw it and we were just like sitting there eating our like bad pizza that we yeah. can't afford. A few uh, they sent out wedding pictures. The two that got yeah. engaged, they like, we like got their wedding pictures. And I was just like, Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember you. you. It was so I wonder, I wonder if the other people were like guests at the wedding. <laughs> oh my God. Probably. That's, that's like an awesome sitcom episode. Episode. I mean, yeah. I cannot, I was just cracking up as you're telling a story of the phone because it is so awkward of like, yeah. yeah, you guys aren't part of this. You know, you went back and of course you know it and they know it, but no one wants to say it. And yeah, yeah. but you got to, you got to see Machu Picchu. You got a yeah. great, a great story out of it. We did. We got a t-shirt that says I survived the Inca Trail. Which isn't wrong. Which, you know, we did. We did survive it. We just didn't hike it. Yeah. Um, and hopefully one day we we can actually go back and hike it. My grandmother hiked it in her 60s. So if she can do it in her 60s, maybe I can do it in my 60s. Maybe by then that will be enough time for me to actually have like, worked up the, the hiking um, stamina that I need to do it. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can go back some peaks, man, before the yeah. Inca Trail. Go back some peaks. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. That is a great story. And um, I, again, goes back to this idea of just making sure as you travel, you know what you want and, and, and not being afraid to, to be like, hey, this is not going to work out for me. 
Um, and if it's not, let me at least salvage what I can still go see Machu Picchu, you know, not dread the situation you're in and, and, and change as you travel. Um, what do you guys have coming up in the pipeline? I know you just started a podcast. What else is next for you all? Um, we just got a puppy. Yeah, we just got a puppy. <laughs> Which is unrelated. Yeah. Um, no, we we did a lot of travel last year. I traveled 26 times, and that was a lot. So I'm trying to kind of take things a little bit slower um, this year. Uh, but we do have some trips planned, um, and we're going to be spending you know a few months in Europe this summer, uh, speaking at a conference, that kind of thing. Um, but right now, we're really we're focusing a lot on – growing our podcast, growing our blog, and making it something that can be sustainable for us so that we're not traveling so much. I kind of did the same thing last year where I, I traveled so much that I got burnt out. And so now I'm trying to even take a step back from that and say, okay, like maybe one trip a month is actually more sustainable for us. Um, so that's really my focus this year, which is which I'm excited about. Yeah, our podcast is definitely taking up a lot of our time. We actually, if, um, if people listening aren't interested in hearing every detail about the the year-long disastrous honeymoon we have a three episode series on it that uh, episodes four five and six yeah we didn't even mention my grandfather faking his own death yeah. that was also um a fun story All right, which episode that is that in because i'm going to listen to that right that's after we're done that's the, part, that's the part three right part, part three that's the end of the honeymoon yeah, yeah. that's that's really the, sort of the catalyst yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so episode six, part three of the honey, the whole honeymoon story is your grandfather faking his death. I mean, I think people should go if if the Machu Picchu story is any, you know, any inclination of what the rest of the whole thing will be, and we touched on a few of it here. Um, you got to go listen to all three because I, I, I want all the details and, and I guess I can get them because they're on your podcast. So, um, yeah, I will definitely be listening to that last episode. Your grandfather faking his death. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. a teaser. Like, who is not <laughs> listening to episode six now? Everyone's listening to episode six. Um, awesome, guys. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Coming on so early for you all, too. And and showing people the other side of travel, right? Like, because it is. A lot of times people, when they get in these situations, feel maybe guilty or bad. Like, everyone else is this perfect traveler. And w what about me? Why am I doing this wrong? And you know, that's one of the reasons we have the podcast and the say you're not doing it wrong. Like this happens to everyone, no matter what it looks like from Instagram or what it looks like from the outside, you know, everyone's going to have these mishaps. And I just love that your site is not just built around that. You have practical advice and all stuff too, but it is built with that as a theme of like, this is going to happen. Here's how it happened to us. Here's what we did. Here's how we changed, you know? Um, and I just love that. So showing the humorous side of travel, really appreciate it. Remind people one more time, what's the best way for them to come find you all? So it's practicalwanderlust.com. Or if you are into audio, you can listen to the Practical Wanderlust podcast. Yep. All of our links are on our site. So if you want to stalk us on Instagram and watch us uh, fail over and over again on stories... You can do that too. Uh, yeah, practicalanalyst.com. Awesome. And remember, guys, episode six of their podcast <laughs> is where the grandfather fakes his death. So go listen to that now. I'm going to make sure I go check that out when I'm at the gym day. That's that's going to be my playlist for being at the gym day. <laughs> episode six of the Practical Wanderlust podcast. Um, we will link everything that Jeremy and Leah talked about in the show notes as well. You can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. Just find this episode. You'll get all the links. We'll link up some of the stories that they talked about, some of the blog posts. Of course, you can find it on their site too, but we'll do the the hard work actually Casey will of linking everything up. And I just want to say thanks again, Jeremy and Leah, you guys were awesome. 
Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. It was great. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for the continued support that makes us number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.